started a little series last week where we took a look back and a look forward last week. How many of you enjoyed last weekend? And just, to, I know I talked to a lot of you, just kind of looking back, and how many of you acknowledge, man, God has been faithful to our church, hasn't he? And uh, I just love the fact that God is the one who makes covenant. Uh, he's the one that establishes a thing. He's the one that sustains a thing. And I'm so grateful uh, for the story that is God's story through Abundant Life Church. How many of you were encouraged last week? It's like, yeah, we're people of faith. Yeah, we're people that go and reach people and serve people and love people. You know, yeah, we're a people that persevere, right? You know, kind of grit your teeth and we're going through it, right? How many of you know we do all of that because God's been faithful to us? Isn't that right? And where we landed last week was we took a, a look at this uh, kind of language that we're trying to kind of just kind of articulate who we've always been. And so maybe it's kind of fresh language. Pastor Aaron referenced it this morning already, which is that we are a community of regular people. Uh, Pastor George used to always say, no perfect people allowed. How many of you know that uh, anybody perfect in the room, by the way? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, good. I'm in good company. Uh, because if you're, oh, we got one. Kevin's perfect. There we go. There's, a, there's, always, there's always one, isn't there, right? <laughs> we love you, Kevin. And so uh, we recognize that, that, that like none of us are perfect, right? We're just regular people trying to figure this thing called life out. Uh, and so we are a community. We're in covenant relationship, not, with, with, not just with God, but we're in covenant relationship with one another because when we're saved, God puts us, places us as members into his body. And so we're a community of regular people living out God's extraordinary story. How many of you know it's, it's an extraordinary story? It's an alternate story to the story that culture, the world, the flesh, the devil offers us. That we get to live out God's amazing story. And it's a story of a kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven, right? That, that all of this is the Lord's. When the Lord created the earth, right? When the Lord created everything that's on this planet, he said that it was good. Now, sin corrupted it, but through the work of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're invited because of union with Christ back into this story, this unfolding story of God's kingdom coming. And we recognize that in Revelation 21, 22, it all is consummated with a new heavens and a new earth when everything will be as it was meant to be. So we, as a community of regular people, are living out God's extraordinary story. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that the way Jesus showed us. And how many of you know Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus came in the flesh. He lived the life that you and I could never live, would never live, and will never live, right? And then he willingly goes to the cross to give himself for us so that we could be in right relationship with God. But Jesus didn't just kind of go to the cross. Jesus lived on this planet for 33 years, and it says that he fulfilled all righteousness. In other words, if you want to know all about God, and if you want to know how we ought to live, you look to Jesus. And so we want to be the kind of people that live like Jesus did, lived. We want to play out life the way he did, in humility, with love, grace, mercy, kindness. How many of you know in the world in which we live, those will go a long way, won't they? And I believe that in the harshness and the difficulty and chaos of the world in which we live, Jesus shows us the best example of how to live. And Jesus not only shows us the best example, but as we're going to discover today, Jesus actually gives us his presence, his power with us to live that out. And so we said, hey, we're a community of regular people living out God's extraordinary story the way Jesus showed us. That's what we're all about. Why are we doing that? 
because we want to see the fame and deeds of God renewed in our time. How many of you believe that the community, the state, the nation, and the world in which we live needs a revelation of who God really is? Don't we? Well, God has placed us here as his hands and his feet to be his example. And, and so that's, that's what motivates us. That's what drives us. We want people to see God, to know God, to experience God. And so we're, we're now, over the next four weeks, what I want to do is unpack a few statements that we're making as a church to say, okay, how do we pursue that? How do we become that community of faith that lives out God's extraordinary story the way Jesus showed us. And the first thing that I want us to look at this week, and we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study. Is that okay? We're in church. I mean, some of you grew up in church and you did like sword drills, okay? I'm going to give you the opportunity to do a sword drill today. A lot of them, okay? We'll also have some uh, verses on the screen. Is it okay that I preach from the Word of God? Is that okay? Okay, good. Just want to make sure I was in the right place. I knew I was in the right place. But um, what I want us to do today is explore um, our first pursuit, or I'm using the word pursuit because pursuit has movement to it, doesn't it? Pursuit is something that we're going after as a church family. We're not passive, we're, we're active. We're pursuing things in the kingdom of God. We're pursuing the things that God has out in front of us. And the first thing that I want to explore this week is, number one, we are a community that pursues the presence of God. We pursue the presence of God. We pursue the tangible and personal presence of God individually and together through a culture of prayer and worship that's rooted in God's word. Man, how many of you love that? We want to be a people that pursue God's presence. We want to be a people of prayer, right? Doesn't the Bible say that my house shall be called a house of? Not entertainment, right? Not we'll sing a few songs. No, no, no. My house shall be a house of prayer. And what's it a house of prayer for? All nations, right? Why? Because we're a kingdom people here on earth. We're ambassadors of the king. And so the way in which we pursue that is we pursue that through prayer, through worship and making much of Jesus. And we allow the Bible to the authority of the word of God to shape all of that and all of our pursuit of God's presence. And so if I was to ask you a question this morning, you know, like, you know, we could ask this question in the room, you know, which is where, where is, where are you with God? Where is God in your life? Right? Or maybe we could ask the question, well, where is God in the life of our church? And the answer to that question in a room this size with as many people that are in this room would probably be varied in its response. I mean, some of you in the room this morning might say, man, um, you know, I don't want God in my life. Now, that might sound surprising, but, but some people do that, right? Some people say, man, I don't want God in my life, you know, and, and God isn't going to force himself Upon you, but I will say this you're missing out on something absolutely amazing. In fact, you're missing out on someone who is so transformative, so amazing, and can change the trajectory of every single one of our lives as he has. And so that could be an answer. Where is God in your life? Where is God in the life of your church? Well, I don't want God in my life. That could be one answer. Uh, it might be this morning as you reflect, where is God in your life? You might be going, well, I feel like God is kind of distant actually. Like, I don't feel God. I, I, I don't know where God is at. I'm, I'm maybe going through some challenges and some difficulties, and things in my life are not going the way I kind of expected. And as a result, I kind of feel like God is distant. Conversely, there might be some others in the room this morning. You're going, well, God, man, God is, he's real near. 
Let me tell you about my prayer time this morning. Let me tell you about the drive into work or into church this morning. And just, man, I was just worshiping God and I felt God's presence. God's presence was so close to me this morning. And life is just going amazing for you. And, and, and so you just kind of feel the nearness and the delight of God's presence in your life. Some of you in the room this morning, you might answer the question this way and say, well, isn't God omnipresent? Meaning, isn't God everywhere present? Like, isn't God everywhere all the time? And so why would we need to pursue anything? Because God's presence is always there. Because God is omnipresent. And you too would be right. That God is omnipresent. In fact, I love it because it says there's so many of these verses throughout the Bible that we oftentimes forget that God is actually present with us. God actually said, he said in his word, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, nothing can separate you from my love. And he says he's an ever-present help in time of need. But oftentimes, isn't it true, we forget just how present God is with us. Or we have this kind of sense, because maybe things are challenging or difficult, that God, well, yeah, God, you're omnipresent, so I know you're everywhere present, but I just don't feel you. I'm not aware of your presence with me. And, and it's, it's interesting because if you think about, in this room, there's a bunch of radio waves. Now, you can't see them, and you're not aware of them, right? But there are a bunch of radio waves bouncing around in this room. Now, I happen to have a very old radio right here. So this was before, uh, this was before uh, Apple Music and Spotify. This was before uh, Sirius XM. This was before auto-tune in your car or on your radio at home. You actually had to plug this radio in, and then you had to turn one of these little dials. And how many of you grew up with one of these kind of radios, you know? How many of you are looking at this going, what is that? I mean, that would, that's, that's like vintage. That's cool. That would look good on a shelf. People used to actually use these things. And, and you would plug it in, and you would literally turn the tuner trying to pick up the radio wave. Well, the same is true with the presence of God. That God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There's not anywhere that you can go that you can run from or escape God's presence, but what God's inviting us into, what God desires for us, as we're going to discover this morning, isn't just that you know that there are radio waves, but that your awareness and that your spirit, your heart, your life is orientated in such a way that you tune into, that you encounter, that you experience God's personal presence with you. And so we don't want to be the kind of people that are just aware that God's present. Yes, God moves and God is able to do all of these amazing things. We don't want to be the kind of people that are saying, hey, yeah, there's radio waves in the air. And no, no, no. We want to be the kind of people that are plugged in, that are tuned in, that are aware of God's personal presence with us. You see, we live in a world that either dismisses God or considers God to be some, some sort of distant landlord that's not intimately, personally, or actively involved with his children. And the reality is that God loves you so much. God cares for you so much. God planned it this way so much that he wants you to be in his presence. It says this throughout the Bible. In fact, when you look at the Bible, you realize that Enoch walked with God. 
right? I mean, over and over and over. And here's what I'm going to try and do today. I'm going to try to prove to you today. I'm going to convince you. Now, I don't have any ability in and of myself. All I'm going to do is lay out the Word of God this morning. I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to move with the Word of God this morning and convince you of the fact that God is nearer than you think and wants to be present and active and involved in your life. So I'm putting all my cards on the table this morning. But what you see in the Bible is that God was always with his people. He wasn't just someone that was distant. He wasn't someone that just created and then kind of stepped back and let it run its course. No, no, no. God was actively and intimately involved with his people throughout all of human history. And you see it. Enoch says in Genesis 5.24, he walked with God. Noah walked with God. In fact, God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. And then he said this, I'm going to be with you. So you walk with me, I'm going to walk with you. You go to Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your family and your country. I'm going to walk with you. In fact, he goes this far. He says, I'm going to make a covenant with you that bonds, you, bonds me, that attaches me, that puts me in an unbreakable contract with you. I'm going to walk with you. Joshua, I want you to take the reins from one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had, and I'm going to be with you, so don't be afraid. Gideon, how many of you know the story of Gideon, right? I mean, you get, you get the point that I'm trying to communicate here, right? He says, Gideon, you're the, small, you're the least in the smallest family in this least tribe in, in all of the nation of Israel, but I've got this big plan that I want to use you for. Well, how am I ever going to do that? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. You go to the New Testament and you realize we just got through the Christmas season and we celebrate what? God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus is with us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he says, look, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. And in fact, he said this. He says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, but I'm going to send you a helper, an advocate, someone that will walk with you through this life. And if you stop to think about that for a second, like an orphan is someone who, without parents, doesn't have a guide through life, but, but God says, I'm not going to leave you as someone who's trying to figure out life in their own strength. I'm going to come and be with you. And so we recognize that God wants to be with us, that repeatedly throughout the Bible, God doesn't say, I'm just omnipresent. I'm just here kind of in this kind of ethereal kind of space. No, no, no. I am personally present with my people. How many of you think, man, that's good news, right? God is personally present with his people. And so here, here's what I want to do really quick. I want to quickly go through, I got 21 minutes. I want to go through the Bible really quick, and I want to show you just how real this is. Because here we are living in 2022 in North America, as far removed maybe as we could have, and all the challenges that our culture is facing, and the, the heart and desire of God has not changed. He wants to be personally with his people. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, in fact, uh, I was going to start actually with Adam and Eve, because it says that Adam and Eve, and how many of you know that when the Bible uh, writes out details, it's not just like they were trying to fill space. How many of you in high school, you know, you had to write like a thousand word paper and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to write a thousand word paper? Well, the Bible wasn't written the way you wrote a high school paper. In other words, trying to fill space. Every detail that the Bible gives us is meant to communicate something to us. 
And what's interesting is that before even, it said that the world was formless and void. In other words, it was in chaos. And then it says this. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding over all of this. And the Hebrew word there is ruach. You want to say that? That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Cover your mouth so you don't spit on the person back. Ruach, right? Ruach. And it literally means breath. So the breath, the life of God is hovering over all of, all of this chaos, this world that's formless and void. And God begins to speak and the spirit begins to move and things begin to get created. Well, Adam and Eve get created. And, and what the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 3 is that God would come down in the cool of the evening and he would walk and talk with Adam and Eve. Now, that's a really powerful thought when you really begin to break it down because God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, right? God is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. So how does that conversation go? I mean, how does that work? Does God ask Adam and Eve a question and then Adam answers the question and God goes, I know. <laughs> what, was, what was the writer of Genesis? What were they trying to communicate? What was God trying to communicate through this story? What God was trying to communicate is from the very outset, when sin had not yet entered the world, God's ideal, God's design, God's desire was to be personally present with his people. He would come down and walk with them and talk with them in the cool of the evening. And in, in, the, in hermeneutics, which is kind of the study of Scripture and how to unpack Scripture, one of the rules is the first mention principle. And so when you recognize the first mention of something, there's something in there that you see through the rest of Scripture. And what we see in this story and creation is that God wants to be personally present with his people. God wants to be present with you. God is not some distant landlord that kind of sits in heaven and once in a while zooms in just to check in and see how things are going. Well, God, I have a problem with the dishwasher. Is there a chance you could fix that, right? Now, this is not who God is. This is not how God designed it. God, in the first mention and creation, he's here to walk with his children, to be present with them to understand what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their life. And so we see here uh, a pattern for what, how God sets things up. Now, what we recognize is that Adam and Eve turn their back on God. You know the story, right? They say, no, we don't want that. We want to be independent of you. We just want to do our own thing. And so God, and I love this because God doesn't give up on his desire. God picks a man by the name of Abram. Now, Abram, he doesn't follow God. There's nothing redemptive in him. There's nothing special about Abram. But God is so committed to being personally present with a people that he calls his own special treasure that he picks a man and he says to Abram, I want you to leave the land that you grew up in, leave your family. Where are we going, God? Just follow me. Come with me. And then God commits himself to Abram. God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. He makes him a promise that through him would be a covenant people that would be God's own special people that would walk with God and God would walk with them. And so what we see here is God's heart and God's desire to be personally present hasn't shifted, hasn't changed. 
And so Abraham, would, uh, him and Sarah couldn't have kids, and God gives them kids, and then the kids become families, and families become tribes, and tribes become a nation, and that nation is known as, as Israel. We call them the, the Hebrew nation. Or the, but what we need to recognize from the Old Testament is that they are a covenant people, not the national identity per se, but what God is doing is saying, there is a covenant people that are my own special possession, and I'm going to be with them, and they're going to be with me. So fast forward now to Mount Sinai. I know I'm moving quickly. So Mount Sinai happens in Exodus chapter 19. What happened, of course, the children of Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt. You know the story. God delivers them out of Egypt. And the place that he brings them after he's delivered them out of Egypt and out of slavery is he brings them to Mount Sinai. And there's this meeting with God that happens at Mount Sinai. And it says in Exodus chapter 19 that God wants to reveal himself to his covenant people. He wants to, them to understand that his heart's desire is for him to be with them and them to be with him. And the picture that's painted is this mountain that's shaking. There's a storm that's swirling around the mountain. There's winds that are whipping and there's a fire that falls and trumpets that are blasting. And out of all of this, this kind, of, kind of just majesty and all of this kind of fearful stuff that's going on, God speaks and he says this in Exodus chapter 19 verses 4 and 6. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now what's really interesting is that special treasure or special possession, a kingdom of priests and that holy nation, you're going to see that phrase throughout the Old Testament, but you're also going to see that phrase applied to you and I as covenant people in First Peter in the New Testament. See, God is setting something up. God wants a people that would be his own treasured people, possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people that would pursue his presence, be in his presence and live from his presence. This is God's heart. It never changed. And, and so what happens is that the children of Israel, and maybe, maybe not surprisingly, like storms, fire, thunder, trumpets, God speaking, pretty intimidating experience. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty intimidating for me. Some of you like scary movies. I don't, you know, <laughs> but pretty intimidating experience. And so what they do is they say, hey, uh, God, um, that's awesome. But here's Moses. You talk to Moses and Moses will talk to us and tell us. And what happens in this, this sad story is that they reject this invitation to be in God's presence. And they said, Moses, you go and be in God's presence. Well, what happens is God says, no, I'm really committed to being with my people. And so God says, well, if you're not going to come to me, I'm going to come to you. And what God does is he speaks and gives Moses instructions to build this tent that's called the tabernacle. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, you've read through your Old Testament and, and you know throughout the Old Testament there's this tabernacle that goes with the children of Israel. And what God is saying is, I'm going to come to be with you. And they were to place this tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the personal presence of God with his people. They were to place this right in the center of the camp and all the tribes were to be built around the tabernacle. And every morning when they woke up, they would see the tabernacle and they would remember, God's with us. God's heart, God's desire is to be with his people. 
and so, in fact, it says in Exodus 40 that then, because he built the tabernacle, and when they anointed this tabernacle or dedicated this tabernacle, it says in Exodus chapter 40 that then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 38 says, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night and in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. And, and what he's doing here, what God's trying to help them understand, and I hope you see, once again, you had a storm, you had wind, you had fire at the mountain. Now we have the tabernacle, and you have a cloud, and you have fire. God, they're symbols of God's presence with his people, and he's trying to communicate to this covenant group of people, you're my special possession. I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. But the sad reality is that the children of Israel, in this stage of the story, still didn't get it. And so there was Moses, one man, but then in Leviticus chapter 9, Aaron and the Levites, his sons, priests, uh, they were dedicated. And if you go read Levi uh, or Leviticus, it says that, that when, they, and then when they consecrated themselves, when Moses consecrated them to be the priests that would minister before the Lord, that they would be in God's presence. And it said there was a cloud and there was a fire that came and consumed the sacrifice. And the sad reality is that that the children of Israel, once again, rejected this invitation to pursue and be in God's presence. In fact, it says in Numbers chapter eleven twenty nine, Moses said this, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. See, Moses got it. Moses understood that the covenant with Abraham and the covenant that had been made with Adam and Eve in the garden, he understood that it was a covenant, it was about God's personal presence being with his people. And he said, I just want all of them to get this, that God wants to be with them. And so the children of Israel, they move out of this nomadic phase. And you, know, you remember, Joshua takes them across the, into the promised land, and they get into the promised land, and they build a, ta- a temple. So now they don't have this temporary tabernacle anymore. They have this temple that's built. And we discussed it last week a little bit, because this temple that was built was like one of the seven wonders of the world that was built back then. It was the most amazing, majestic place. But once again, what we discover is that God's presence through the Ark of the Covenant placed in this temple is limited to one location and limited to a small group of people who are actually experiencing God's personal presence. It's so interesting because it says in 1 Kings 19 uh, that when the priests came out of the holy place, so this is after they're dedicating the temple, look at this, it says a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord. God's personal presence filled the house of the Lord. In the parallel passage over in 2 Chronicles, it says this, As soon as Solomon finished his temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so we have this temple now that's housing the ark and and the personal presence of God, but still only the priesthood could go in and experience God's personal presence. Well, you know the story because we talked about this in the fall. The temple gets destroyed by the Babylonians. There's exiled out to Babylon. They come back. We talked about this last week in Haggai and Ezra and Nehemiah. They come back to try and rebuild the temple. It never gets rebuilt. And all these prophets in the Old Testament keep talking and prophesying and, and expecting that there's going to be this restoration of a temple or a dwelling place for God's personal presence with his people. And then this little prophet called Joel in Joel chapter 2 He shows up, and here's what Joel says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour 
my spirit on all flesh. And what he does in there, that's a setup for what happens in verse 3 because Joel begins to describe the presence of God with his people. He begins to describe God's desire to be personally present with his people. And doesn't it sound awfully like Joel 2.28 is when God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, sounds a little bit like what Moses said in Numbers chapter 11. Oh, that God would be present, that his spirit would be poured out upon all people. And this is the heart of God throughout the Old Testament. And Joel, so you kind of end the Old Testament kind of going, when will God's presence be, be present with every single person? When will every single person who's a covenant member or a part of God's family have the opportunity to be in his personal presence? And really, it's a setup then for Jesus, isn't it? Because we recognize that Jesus shows up and Jesus says, in John 1.14, it says of Jesus, it says, and the word became flesh. And look what it says, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek literally means to pitch a tent. Doesn't that sound like the tabernacle in the Old Testament? And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is fulfilling all of these Old Testament things that we just talked about, about how he's come to dwell with us, abide with us. He's pitching his tent. His presence is with us. That God would come, God the Son, Jesus Christ, would come and dwell amongst us, be present with us. But God wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't remain in that mode or that state. Towards the end of his life, Jesus would say this in John chapter 16, in verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And what Jesus was saying to his disciples, what Jesus was saying to the church, to the body of Christ, to the family of God, is that he would go, but that he would send another, the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence with us. See, remember earlier I said that Jesus said, I'll not leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you. How does Jesus come to us? He comes to us through the Holy Spirit. He comes to us through God's personal presence with us. It says in Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit, lowercase s, of fear or of slavery that returns to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, of sonship, testifying that we are God's children. In other words, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, fulfills his word. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but you are going to receive the capital S Spirit so that you are adopted as sons and daughters. You are now part of the family. You have access to God's personal presence, just like all of the priests throughout the Old Testament. And this is what God has invited his people. This is what God has invited his family. This is what God has invited his church into. That God doesn't leave us as orphans. God doesn't say, hey, I want you to go figure out life in your own strength. No, God says, I'm going to give you my personal presence. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the kind of church that tries to figure things out in their own strength. I don't want to be the kind of person that says, okay, I'm just going to grit my teeth a little bit. I'm going to clench my fists a little bit, and I'm going to try and push through in my own strength. When God says, no, 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 my personal presence is with you. 
You are adopted as sons and daughters. You now carry the name of the family, Jesus Christ. But not only are you named after him, not only are you brought, adopted into the family, God actually gives us his personal presence to be with us. He says, you don't have to do it on your own strength anymore. And what happens then is then, and you guys know this because you're Bible scholars, I know it. You go from Jesus and Jesus says, look, I need you to remain in Jerusalem. And I want you to seek after me, okay? And, and that thing that I talked to you about, about my personal presence being with you, about the Holy Spirit coming to be with you, that's going to come. So they gathered, 120 of them gathered in the upper room. And you know what happens in Acts chapter 2. Isn't it interesting? It says this. It says that there was a rushing wind. And there was fire that came. Now, I don't want to be all weird or any of that kind of stuff. But as I was meditating and studying this over the last couple of weeks, I was trying to put myself into the shoes of the people that would have been reading Dr. Luke's account of what was going on in Acts chapter 2. And it dawned on me that the people that would be reading that, first and foremost, would be the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, those Jews who would have read this passage probably first. And when they read it, and they saw this symbolism of wind and fire, they would have gone the whole way back to Ruach in, the, in, the, in Genesis, in creation. They would have gone through the tavern or, or Mount Sinai when there was a storm and there was wind and there was fire and there was trumpets. They would have gone to the Levi or the tabernacle when the cloud descended and the fire led them by night. They would have gone to the, uh, the, the anointing or the consecration of the priests in Leviticus chapter 11 when there was a cloud and the, when there was fire. They would have gone to the temple when the temple was dedicated and there was a cloud and there was fire. They, they recognized that what God was saying in Acts chapter 2 is here, it's happening. Numbers chapter 11, Joel chapter 2, all of it's happening. God is personally present now with every one of his people. That it's no longer a select group of people, priests that can enter once or twice or a few times a year. But all of us have access, not just to the fact that God is omnipresent, but that God is personally present with every single one of us. This is what God has invited us into. And look what it says. It says this in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for his own possession. Wait, that's exactly the language that we read in Exodus. God's saying the same thing about you and the same thing about me. And what God is trying to make clear throughout the whole of the Bible is that God's personally present with us. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now that sounds like the language of something that's being built, doesn't it? We recognize that Jesus is the cornerstone. We're recognizing that we're not making this stuff up as we go along, but we look back to the authority of Jesus. We look back to the authority of Scripture. We look back to the apostles and the prophets, the, all of those that God used to write this canon of Scripture. That's what we're being built upon. And then it goes on, and he says this in verse 21, in whom the whole structure, that's you and me, we're the structure, in whom the whole structure being joined together, look at this, grows into a holy temple. Whoa, that means that you and I are being built together 
by Jesus, by his personal presence with us. Because it says this. It says, look what it says next. A holy temple, what? In the Lord. And then he says this. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. Literally, a tabernacle for God. Look at this. By the Spirit. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. This is not tradition. This is not routine. This is not like, hey, I just go to church on a Sunday morning because hey, that's what I do. That's what my family's always done. No, 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 no. God has, through all of human history, says, no, I'm going to have a people that are my special possession. I'm going to have a holy nation. I'm going to have a kingdom of priests. And you know what's going to identify them? You know what's going to distinguish them? You know what's going to mark them? My presence with them. Not some distant ethereal, omnipresent, like God's out there somewhere. He's in a bear. He's in a tree. He's in me. Like, no, 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 no. No, he's personally present with you and I. And what God is doing is he's building us together as a tabernacle, a dwelling place for his presence. Whoa. Which means that when we gather, he's present. Which means when you gather in a life group, He's present because we're two or three are gathered in his name. He's there in the midst. Which means that when people come into a place like this, they don't just experience us singing. They don't just experience me waffling on for an hour. I won't go for an hour, I promise. 40 minutes, maybe. Um, <clears throat> right? They don't just experience that stuff. What they experience is God's personal presence. Which is why we're a people to pursue the presence of God. I'm going to have the band come and join me. But as I close, we're going to sing a song. Is that okay? We can do that. Because I don't, how many of you would say, I want that. I want God's presence. I want when I'm at work, when I'm at the gym, when I, I'm not alone. I want God to speak to me. I want God to work through me. I don't have what it takes to do this in my own strength. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to be with you. Now, how is he with us? How do we posture ourselves? What are the things that we have to do? Just like we had to tune in the radio, what are the things that we ought to do? Well, number one, we want to be a people who are rooted in God's word. How many say amen? amen. Come on, we want to be rooted in God's word. God's word is the ultimate authority in our life and in the life of our church. We won't do anything that goes outside the bounds of God's word. I'm not interested in it. It has no authority. And, and I want you to recognize that God's word, and hear me clearly, God's word is not a means to an end in and of itself. It, or sorry, it's not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. And you know what the end is? The end is this, that you wouldn't just know about God, but you, you would know him. When you read the word of God, you shouldn't be going, well, I know that about God. I know that about God. No, no, no. I should be falling more in love with God because I'm learning more about him and I get to know him through his word. Number one, we'll be a people of the word. We'll be a people of worship. I love this guy. I love this team. I love the fact that we gather. But like I've said over the past few weeks, we don't just come here to receive something. We actually come bringing an offering, don't we? And so as I'm coming to church, I've had my own personal prayer time. I've had my own worship set in the car. I'm like filled up and ready to go. Why? Because I'm gathering with the people of God. We're a habitation for the presence of God. We're a dwelling place. We're a tabernacle. And we're going to offer up praise and worship together. We'll be rooted in the word. We'll be a people of worship. 
And lastly, we're going to be a people of prayer. We're going to create a culture of prayer around here. Not that we don't have it, but the Lord is calling us to go deeper with him. He's calling us to draw nearer to him. He's calling us to orient our hearts and position ourselves to say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of your presence. I, I, you, you're real. You're not distant. You're close. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they lead me, they guide me. Whether I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, you're with me. And so for you personally, for us as a church family, uh, you know, we're going to do some more pursuit nights on four Sundays of the month. We're looking at trying to start some prayer on Sunday mornings before church starts in maybe our community room or somewhere. We're looking at trying to figure out how to create prayer groups. I've asked uh, uh, Bruce and Debbie Douglas, who I just love. Don't any of you know who the Douglases? They're the most amazing people. And I've asked them to partner with us to help us lead this effort to be a people of prayer. Because prayer is the difference between the best that you can do and the best that God can do. So here's what I want us to do. Can we stand? And I want us, we're going to sing, just spend a minute. I don't want to, is this okay? How many of you would say, I want God's presence? Yeah, that's who we're called to be. We're a dwelling place. We're a habitation. We're going after that, right? We're not going to be weird. We're not going to be crazy. Like, we just want to worship. We just want to pray. We just want to be in his presence. And so if that's you right now, just lift your hands. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, we're responding to your word this morning by saying, we want that, Lord. We want to be a people that pursue your presence. We want to be a people that are united with you in Christ. We want to be a people that are filled to overflowing, that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. Lord, we want to be those who are life-giving, those who are, uh, Father, transformed by your presence, by your word, by prayer, by worship. But Lord Jesus, not so that it just rests on us, but that it flows through us, that we would be a blessing, that you would bless us as you blessed Abraham so that we might be a blessing to others. So Lord, we honor you. We worship you.